The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you would like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you 24-7, 365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. And the Exxon Radio Show is coming to you around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network. Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. My guest this hour is Jenny Ashford, and uh, Jenny is a horror, paranormal, and true crime writer, graphic designer, and podcaster. Uh, Jenny, uh, first of all, welcome to the X-Zone, and what was it that brought you in with the great interest that you have in the paranormal, horror, and true crime? Well, it's uh, very nice to be on the show. Um, I think I probably was interested in spooky stuff, unsolved mysteries, all that kind of stuff, really as far back as I can remember. I'm not sure if it was genetic or what the thing was, but ever since I was a little kid, all I wanted to do was read ghost stories and witches and stuff like that. When I got a little bit older and started reading horror, I was like, well, that's what I want my career to be. That's what I want to do. So I wrote horror for a few years. Right. And then in about 2009, 2010, um, I met my current partner, Thomas Ross. And we had been dating for a couple of years. And he told me, he's like, because he knew that I was very skeptical about the paranormal. Because I would kind of been interested in the paranormal when I was a teenager. I read like a lot of uh, William Rolls books and Hans Bender and stuff. I was very interested in like poltergeist Mm -hmm. things and ghosts and hauntings and stuff. And um, he said, well... He said, I know you're a skeptic, but he's like, I had this really intense poltergeist experience that happened to me when I was a kid, and I'll tell you about it if you don't promise not to laugh at me. So I was like, okay, give, you know, give, give it a whirl. So he told me the story, and I'm not going to say I thought he was lying or that I thought he was making it up or anything like that, but I was like, wow, that is, that's quite a story. And the more he kind of told me about it, at one point, he's like, no, I'm, he's like, I promise I'm telling you the truth. He's like, call my aunt and uncle in California. They still lived in California at the time. And he said, they saw it too. They were there. They will tell you the exact same thing. Call them when I'm not around. So I called them and they told me the same story that he had told me. So as we kind of talked about it more mm-hmm. over the years, I was like, uh, you know, previous to this, I had written some nonfiction uh, sort of articles and things like that. But Prior to this, I'd really only written fiction. And I said, now, do you mind if I write a nonfiction account of this? I said, because it's a really interesting story. And it's not really like many other poltergeist cases that I had heard about before. And so he was like, yeah, sure. So we collaborated on uh, the first book, and it was called The Mammoth Mountain Poltergeist. And from there, it just kind of took off you know that book came out and we actually had it reviewed by Steve Mara who's a British parapsychologist and he wanted to he he's like hey you know I have a bunch of cases that I don't have time to write about you know do you want to collaborate on a couple books with me so we ended up doing that and um, so that's kind of how it ended up and it's funny because uh, even though I had never really seen anything of a paranormal nature prior to this the more that Tom and I talked about it, the um, I actually had some paranormal stuff happen to me later on. It happened at our house later on. So that was actually the first time I ever got to see it. <laughs> well, can you tell us the case that uh, 
converted you from skeptic to believer? Uh, it was definitely Tom's case, the one that I first wrote the book about. Mm -hmm. And even though I wasn't there, the details that he told me and that were corroborated by the other people that had seen it, um, it really kind of convinced me that maybe there was something to this. And uh, it actually happened back in 1982. Tom was 13 years old. And him and his 13-year-old cousin, Wesley, and his aunt and uncle, Lois and Red, right. were going out to Mammoth Mountain. They were going to spend a week at a ski resort. Mm -hmm. And they had never been to this ski resort before. And none okay. of them had ever experienced paranormal activity before. Nothing like that. But Tom says, the interesting thing is that when they were driving up there, he's like, I had this horrible sense of dread. Ooh. He's like, I don't, he's like, at first I thought it was because driving up in the mountains and it was really cold and I was going somewhere I'd never been. He's like, it reminded me of the beginning of The Shining, you know, when they were driving up to the Overlook. And he said, so I wasn't sure if that's what was causing it. But he's like, I just ha had this really bad feeling that something terrible was going to happen when we got there. And when they were on the way up there, the uh, the hood of their truck just flew up just for no reason. And, you know, this is a mountain road with cliffs on the side and stuff. So they had to pull over and fix it. And there was nothing wrong with the latch or anything like that. And they're like, okay, that was weird. So then they get to the con this condominium that they're staying at. It's like a two-story condominium. And like I said, they'd never been there before. Now, all of them said that as soon as they walked in, they had this horrible feeling of oppression or that someone was watching them. And they said you could feel it as soon as you opened the door. It was like walking through. He compared it to walking through a membrane. And the first thing that happened was he said, I came, he's like, I came into the place. I put my bag down on the bedroom in the bedroom uh, that was just by the door. He's like, I just put it down on the bed. Then I went back out to the car to get my suitcase. And he's like, this only took a few seconds. I came back in. When I came back into the room, the bag that he had just put down, he saw like something moving out of the corner of his eye. And he's like, this rolled up pair of socks that had been inside the bag was now at the edge of the bed, like it had moved. And the bag was open, it was laying on its side, and there was just clothes all over. And he's like, well, that can't, he's, you know, the bag was closed. He's like, I don't see how that could have happened, but, you know, whatever. And they only stayed there for a week. But they pretty much, he said, this wasn't the kind of thing where... Sometimes you hear about poltergeist cases where it's just like every now and then, like we would hear knocking at the walls or something like that. He's like, this was every hour. There was just stuff. And it, he's like, it got to a point where it was just undeniable. He's like, it's just things were moving, um, you know, mostly like small objects, like little towels, little mugs, things like that. He's like, they were teleporting from room to room. It's like they saw a lamp which was in one of the guest bedrooms that no one was using, it was sitting on a bedside table. And they were in the room looking into the room. They closed the door. And then less than 30 seconds later, they opened the door and the lamp was gone. And it had actually moved across the room. It was on the floor of a closet, like 10, 20 yards away. And they're like, there's just, there's no explanation for that. There's, you know, there's, there's no one in the house. No one was pranking them. No one was in that room. No one could have gotten in. The windows were sealed because it was winter and just all of these crazy things. And the, you know, and, and the thing is too, that even though, um, the, you know, they were only there for a week, it actually followed them for a little while when they left. I mean, when they were still at the, at the condominium, they had a lot of other things happen too. Like, um, one night they, the chain lock, you know, it had one of those little chains that go across the door frame right. and they heard something crashing and they went down and they mm -hmm. found that someone had torn the chain lock out of the wall from the inside. And on the door frame, there were like three deep marks in the wood, like a claw, you know, so it was just things like that. And like I said, when they were there for a week and then they left and it followed them because things happened um, Tom went to his aunt and uncle's house in San Diego and stayed with them for a few more days and things happened there as well. Like they had, um, a, uh, uh, Tom had all these, uh, socks come out of a drawer and, uh, dropped on him. He actually heard something in coming out of thin air that sounded like a voice, but it was like aquatic sounding. Uh, they had, 
at one point, this was one of the weirdest things that happened was his cousin was in bed and uh, Tom's aunt was watching over him because of all the weird things that were going on. And she turned her head away for a second. And when she turned back, there was a figure in bed next to Wesley. And it had been made out of a shirt, a pair of pants, a tennis racket, and a baseball cap. Almost like whatever this was had like made this little figure like instantaneously in bed. Because she said she just turned her head for a second and there was nothing there and then turned it back and it was there in the bed. So it was just as crazy. It only lasted a couple weeks, uh, but it was three locations. It actually, there was a little bit of it at uh, Tom's mother's house as well. But after two weeks, it just kind of instantaneously stopped doing it. But it, it was really one of the weirdest stories. And the more I heard about it and the more I heard about it from uh, his family and the other witnesses and stuff like that, the more I became convinced that there was probably something to that. Jenny, stand by. You and I have to take our first break. Exxon Nation, Jenny Ashford is our special guest this hour, www.jennyashford.com. Interesting story. Oh, thanks. We'll be back yeah. on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, Friday, February the 2nd, the X Chronicles newspaper, January-February edition, goes on sale. And if you'd like more information, send me an email, exxonatexxonradiotv.com, and I'll be glad to send you all the info. Or you'll be able to go to www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com and get your copy from our newsstand. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Wildewiaka's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of The Science of Magic radio show. Drawing on the subject matter of each guest, and armed with over 40 years' experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gwilda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the X-Zone, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? Find out more, X-Zone Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Oh, oh, oh. 
Sports Nation, Jenny Ashford is my special guest, www.jennyashford.com. Jenny, uh, after having heard these experiences about this poltergeist, this entity, this whatever it is from so many people, did you do any investigating into its probable or possible cause? I did, and I actually um, I asked a lot of people about it, parapsychologists, people that had experienced it, stuff like that, when mm-hmm. uh, I was writing my book, The Unseen Hand, which is actually kind of a compilation of poltergeist cases that I wrote last year, I got, I kind of got the impression that, and, and I believe this also, that poltergeist outbreak and haunting, a traditional haunting, are really two different phenomena. Mm-hmm. And as far as it goes, I still consider myself a skeptic as far as hauntings go or ghost stories as in um, you know, the survival of someone's personality after death. Right. I'm not discounting the possibility that there might be uh, kind of a residual type haunting, mm-hmm. like, you know, something like a tape playing back or something like that. But I'm I'm not sure about ghosts as, you know, living, you know, people that were once living that are still hanging around. Poltergeists, I think, are actually not supernatural in I think they're more paranormal in the sense that they can be scientifically explained but they haven't been yet so that's kind of where I stand on that I really do think that it's a manifestation of a living person that's exteriorized Mm -hmm. through some mechanism that they don't understand yet because it seems like when I was researching all the cases for my book the unseen hand in at least 90% of the cases, if not more, there was some individual, usually a teenager, not always, but almost always, who was undergoing some kind of emotional trauma right. um, that, you know, that couldn't be expressed in a normal way or in a healthy way. And so it seemed like it would almost come out as, you know, I've used the phrase before, a psychic temper tantrum, where, you know, they were kind of trying to repress all these emotions, but it was always kind of leaking out in a paranormal type of fashion. A psychological found, yeah. a, a psychological uh, escape valve manifestation. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I think it is. And so that's why I think it's kind of two different things. And I know that there are there have been some cases and even some cases that I talked about in some of my books mm-hmm. that have aspects of both things. But I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe it's because a poltergeist or the or the focus individual that causes the poltergeist, it's almost kind of like they have an expectation. And that I think that can feed into what types of manifestations can occur. I think maybe if they're expecting it to act like a demon, right. it will act like a demon. Or if they're expecting it to act like a ghost, it will mm-hmm. act like a ghost. So I'm not really sure if when we see things that are called hauntings or, you know, a surviving ghost or whatever, that might just be like a mischaracterized poltergeist, you know, acting as though it's that just because that's what the people witnessing it are expecting it to act like. Let's take a little bit of of a recap. uh, And please correct me if I'm wrong on any of the of the three points that I'm going to bring up. You were telling us that your cousin or, or the person who you believe to be the agent of the poltergeist was 13 years old. Yes. Okay, number two, it was expressed on the way up to this cabin or this this um, this this residence that it felt as if they were going on their way to the Shining. Right. Okay. And then, is it possible that because of the effect of the Shining there was the expectation that something would be going wrong. I have kind of thought that. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, Tom, he's actually, he's my boyfriend, actually. Um, He's the one that I wrote Mm -hmm. the book about. But he actually believes this too, because when he first started experiencing it, when he first went there, he had never experienced anything like that. He didn't know what to think. So at first Mm -hmm. he's like, I'd never heard of a poltergeist. It was 1982. I didn't really know what that was. So initially he thought, Oh, it's a ghost or it's some kind of scary entity. But as the time went on, he said, now the first thing that occurred to me, um, near the end of the outbreak, which only lasted two weeks, as I said, Mm -hmm. he said, I started to think that it was reading my mind because 
He's like, I found that I was able to predict the next thing that would move. He's like, you know, he's like, I would see a vase and it would have like a strange aura around it that appeared to like no one else could see it, but he could see it. Right. And then a second later it would move. So, but then as the time went on, he said, no, wait a minute. What if it's not reading my mind? What if I'm doing it? Right. Like unconsciously. Telekinesis. And as, yeah, exactly. Right. And as soon as he had that revelation, it stopped. Yep. And uh, an interesting addendum to that is that the more we talked about it, and he, and he is convinced that it was him doing it. He didn't think so at first, but he came to believe that. And he had some kind of later experiences that sort of cemented that in his mind. And the interesting t thing, too, is that while we were working on the book and while we were working on subsequent paranormal books, um, you know, we had we were talking about it so much. It was poltergeist this, poltergeist that. And we were discussing all these cases. And it started to happen in our house. Uh, very minor, not anything compared to what he had witnessed back in 1982, mm -hmm. but, you know, things that were very, very oddly paranormal. And it wasn't just us that saw them. It's, you know, it was there, we had friends over and they saw it also just, you know, things moving like a remote control just flew off a table all of a sudden. Um, the doors would open and close. The doorbell would ring in the middle of the night and there was no one there. Um, you know, things would fall off of shelves or fly off of shelves when you weren't really looking at them and stuff like that. So I kind of tend to agree with him that it's the unconscious energy of a person and that sometimes when you realize that it's you doing it, that will make it stop. It's almost like you have to have the expectation that it's an outside entity for it to keep going. That's right. And uh, Dr. Hans, the late Dr. Hans Holzer, uh, you know, agreed with that, that it was uh, the the manifestation of a human or an agent, mostly teenagers going through adolescence who yep. were causing yep. these, these, uh, this phenomenon known as poltergeist. Yeah, exactly that. Um, so when it comes to ghosts after death communication, psych, uh, you know, psychic readings, psychic phenomenon, where do you stand on that? You, you don't believe in ghosts. Not well, it's not so much that I, I just have never seen anything that would convince me. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, I've I've seen some things in the course of my research about poltergeist that kind of give me an idea that maybe it could be possible. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking in particular of a case that Steve Mara investigated that I, I collaborated with a with him on a book about it. And it was actually the Keith Linder case, uh, from 2014 to 2016 that happened in uh, Seattle, Washington. And the interesting thing about that case was that there was a lot of poltergeist type phenomena. There were a lot of, um, fires and things of that nature, things moving around, but there were also over 400 EVPs and they seemed to be, and they were very clear. Uh, he played me several of them. And they appeared to be intelligent in that they were commenting on whatever the investigators were doing at the time. Um, so, you know, it, there was even one, and this was actually one of the creepiest ones, where uh, Steve Mara's uh, colleague, Don Phillips, he had brought a uh, bouquet of flowers and he had put it on this um, table in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And they didn't hear anything at the time, but they had their audio recorders going the whole time they were there. And later on, they played this tape back and there were two female voices and there were no females in the house at the time, just three men. And there were two female voices. One female voice said, whose are the flowers? And then another female voice said that man brought them very clearly. Um, so I kind of think and the more they researched into the land, the, the house itself had only been there for 10 years. But um, I, I found it interesting and interesting coincidence that the land that that house was built on was the only parcel of land in that area that had had a previous dwelling on it. It was like an old cabin. And there was also a history of a lot of... Um, uh, of skirmishes between Native Americans and uh, immigrant loggers and things like that. And a lot of people had been killed around that area um, because they noted that a lot of the EVPs had Irish accents um, and there were, had been a lot of Irish settlers in that right. area. So that kind of gives me pause that, yes, mm -hmm. possibly. Um, I've never experienced anything of that nature myself. So 
Um, but I'm open to the possibility. In general, I'm skeptical of ghost, psychic, anything like that. But I'm open to the possibility, um, you know, if I if I see it for myself, if I see enough evidence for it. Is it possible that the EVP phenomenon is not unlike the poltergeist activity, where it's the person who is conducting the investigation who, by the very ability of thought transference or ESP, is actually imprinting the phenomenon on the tape, and it has nothing to do with the dead. It's just a part of ESP tracking or ESP recording. Yeah, I think that's actually a really intriguing possibility. Mm -hmm. In a way, it's a, I mean, I'm not going to say it's more fascinating than, oh, people's souls survive sure. after death or whatever like that. But um, I definitely think that's a really fascinating, I mean, think what, if that could be harnessed, like what could be done with that? Exactly. Because I do think that the human mind is a lot more, you know, has a lot more abilities, a lot more powers than we're generally aware of mm -hmm. um, that haven't really been discovered or, you know, researched to a great degree. Yeah. So if if we could do that, if, if you could take your thoughts and like put them onto tape and, you know, it's mm -hmm. really not that crazy to think about. So I do think that that's a definite possibility and that what that's what might be causing all of those EVPs. All right, Jenny, please stand by. Exonation. Our guest this hour is Jenny and uh, Ashford. Jenny Ashford. I was going to say Anderson for some reason, but Jenny Ashford. <laughs> Her website is www.jennyashford.com, and we'll be back after this news break at the bottom of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. From our broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is, 
For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Jenny Ashford is our special guest this hour, Exonation, www.jennyashford.com. She is a horror author, paranormal author, and true crime writer. She's a graphic designer. And uh, we're talking about cases that she has worked on, worked with, and written about this hour here in the next. So once again, her uh, website is jennyashford.com. Jenny, uh, how, many, how many investigations have you yourself gone out on, or do you kind of stay away from them? I actually kind of stay away from them. I'm thinking about maybe in the future mm-hmm. branching out to doing that sort of thing. Right. Um, at this point, I'm kind of like taking cases from other parapsychologists, other researchers and stuff like that and kind of condensing them or, you know, that, that they don't have time to write themselves mm-hmm. or things like that, just kind of compiling. But I actually would like to get started on doing that at some point in the future, because that is something that that really interests me. And even though I have seen some minor poltergeist activity in my own home, um, I'm always intrigued to see more. And uh, so I'm very open to that uh, possibility in the future. Jenny, why do you think there's still such an interest in the paranormal in the year 2018? You know, people love mysteries. Mm -hmm. Um, I love mysteries. And honestly, I think it's just kind of the whole open-endedness. There's there's just so much um, possibility there of what this could be and and what if this really is supernatural and think of all the stuff we could do with that and think of it would change the whole paradigm. And I, you know, I definitely think, you know, as, as scientifically advanced as we as we are, as we appear to be, I suppose, Um, you know, our brains are still very much back in the old magical thinking kind of days and things like that, which in Mm -hmm. a way is, is bad for some things, but in a way is kind of good because I kind of like, I kind of like when everything's not explained. It's kind of why I started writing about true crime and I'm most fascinated by unsolved mysteries just because they never figured it out. And, you know, maybe someone will figure it out someday, but not now. And it's just, it's not known. And I think people are just fascinated by stuff that's not known and you can kind of, uh, you know, read your own things into it. It's just like uh, doing the daily uh, jigsaw puzzle or, or word puzzle or number hidden search you're right people love a mystery people love puzzles oh yeah yeah what is your take on ufos and uh claims that extraterrestrials have been visiting this planet yeah that i'm not to me Mm. um ufos seem one of the probably more credible type uh paranormal things because i mean the cosmos is enormous Mm -hmm. um it would be it's very strange if other intelligent beings weren't out there somewhere. Um, so I don't discount the possibility. I think there are definitely other civilizations out there somewhere. Whether they visited here, I'm not entirely sure about. I have seen a few cases, particularly cases where it was, um, you know, military guys, cops, things like that. People whose career would be on the line if they, you know, they reported a UFO, but they reported it anyway, because they're like, this is what I saw. Mm -hmm. I tend to give them more credibility because, you know, their butts on the line. It's like, I'm reporting this because I saw it, even though I know that I'm probably going to get in trouble or I'm probably going to get laughed at or whatever. Plus they're professional witnesses. That, yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, they're used to seeing things and, you know, particularly military guys and stuff like that, you know, the ones that see them from their planes and stuff, mm-hmm. they see things in the sky all the time. So they would know if something was weird. Um, you know, so I tend to give that some more weight. And there have been a handful of cases that I've looked into that do seem that I'd be like, yeah, that that might be the case. An interesting thing, though, is that I've I've always thought that if aliens are visiting earth, Mm -hmm. I think it's just in, I think they're kind of like park rangers. They're just kind (laughs) of dropping by to make sure we're not blowing the planet up, 
you know, like, hey, yeah. look at those little guys down there. I don't, you know, I don't think they're particularly interested in, uh, you know, kidnapping anyone sure. or, you know, you'd think that they, if they had the technology to get here, that they would just be able to scan us from space and be like, okay, we know what that is and stuff. So I just think they're kind of just keeping an eye on us if that's what they're doing. They're just kind of keeping just keeping us out of trouble. I think that's what they're doing if they're coming here. You know, I, I believe it could be one of two possibilities. Number one, we are the botany bay of the universe where anything weird, wacky, or out of the ordinary was thrown on to keep it out of, <laughs> out of everybody else's reach. Or we're the loony bin of the universe, you know, and and can you just imagine somebody zipping over to planet Earth and seeing the hunger, the climate, uh, the, the, uh, you know, the possibility of nuclear war and how we treat each other, man, they'd be, they'd be on their way back to their own planet, but they'd put a big billboard somewhere in space that says earth ahead, turn around now. Yeah, avoid at all costs. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought. I was like, I don't know if they'd want to come here. Yeah. Why would they want to come here? They don't want to talk to us. That's, <laughs> you know, that's the that's the $64 million question. Why would they want to come here? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, unless they're just keeping an eye on us, making sure we're not doing anything terrible to their... Maybe this is just their, like, little region that they're supposed mm. to keep an eye on. They're like little security guards. They're just like, are they just behaving down there? Okay. Space Patrol, there you go. Yeah, that's exactly what they are. Um, when you were doing your investigation into uh, the Mammoth Mountain poltergeist, uh, while you were doing the research, uh, did you hear any stories about Bigfoot up in the mountains or in the forests? It's weird because I have been asked that question before about the very same thing, but mm-hmm. I, I had not. Um, the only strange stories I think... Uh, when I when I asked about that particular plot of land where those condos were, those condos are still there. They've been uh, remodeled since then, but uh, I've seen pictures of the of them online. The only thing was, you know, they said, "Oh, maybe Indian burial ground and stuff like that." But they always say that when uh, when haunting stuff exactly, takes place. Yeah. But I don't think I ever heard anything about uh, any kind of Sasquatch or Bigfoot or anything like that in the area. No. Well, as a as a paranormal writer, what's your take on Bigfoot? Um, that's another one that I personally think that it probably doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. but if it did, it wouldn't shock me because to me, I I don't really subscribe because I know that there, there are some schools of thought about Bigfoot that he's not just like an animal or he's, he's like a, you know, like a spiritual being or something of that nature. I don't really subscribe to that. I think if there's a Sasquatch that exists, it's in a very remote area Mm -hmm. and it's just, a hominid it's a large ape or something like that you know it's possible that one could have gotten isolated at some point and there's a small population of them i don't think that's totally crazy um i haven't seen enough evidence to support the fact that there was a breed that there's a breeding population of them that they're eating and things like that but like i said if someone did come up with one over like here it is and they took its dna and everything like that i'd be like oh okay that's yeah okay yeah uh, yeah, I wouldn't think it was that weird. <laughs> I agree with you there. Uh, but yeah. one of the questions that I love asking people who are, I'm going to use air quotations here, ghost researchers or ghost hunters yeah. is, all right, now, if you're a hunter, you're going out to kill something, right? Yeah. Right. But a ghost is already dead. Yeah. <laughs> and so what are you going to do once you, in fact, establish that a ghost is real? What are you going to do? Yeah, I don't know if they've actually thought of it thought of it to that uh, extent. I it's funny to me because when I watch uh, some of the TV shows and yeah. stuff, you know, Ghost Hunters and Ghost Brothers and stuff like that, it's like they go into these places with all this equipment, like looking for ghosts, hoping for ghosts, uh, you know, to happen. And then when they do happen, they freak out, they get all scared <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm like, I thought that's what you wanted. I, I mean, you went in there with the intention of trying to talk to them and trying to capture them so like why freak out when something happens like that because but, uh, because freaking yeah. out excites the viewers i guess so. that's all it is <laughs> you know can, i guess that's what it is yeah. i do watch those for entertainment value but i but you know i've talked to enough um parapsychologists to know that a lot of that is not uh not the way to conduct a haunting investigation <laughs> it, exactly exactly and and Based on what you've seen on the television and how you yourself regard it, 
Do you believe or do you think that these shows are an asset or a hindrance to true parapsychology and true parapsychological uh, investigations into the paranormal phenomenon? In the main, I think they are a hindrance. Um, even though a lot of them are entertaining, mm -hmm. I watch some of them myself, like I said, for entertainment purposes, and a right. lot of them are funny and things like that. But um, as far as serious research into it goes, I think the, the glut of these paranormal shows is making the whole thing into a joke. And so now when you say, oh, you study parapsychology, um, people are like, oh, you mean you run around in like old asylums, you know, waving an EVP <laughs> or an EMF meter or something like that. Right. And it's really not like that. I mean, a real parapsychological, you know, again, air quotes, um, <laughs> a real parapsychological investigation is not like that. Mm -hmm. And so I do feel like the field um, gets taken a lot less seriously because of those shows. I mean, on the other hand, those shows show that there's a lot of interest in it. And obviously a lot of people do believe in it, but I feel like there's not as much solid scientific research into it as there probably should be, because I do think there's a phenomena there that needs to be explained. But if it's just going to get junked up with all these silly shows, um, you know, guys running around in the dark or, you know, guys like big rednecks running around looking for Bigfoot or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's just going to become a laughing stock yeah. and you're not going to get people to want to study that with any seriousness. Well, my dear, you and I have to take our final break. When we come back, more of the paranormal, more about the strange, the weird, the bizarre, more of the X-Zone with my special guest this hour, Jenny Ashford, her website, www.jennyashford.com. Dot com, And I will be back on the other side of this break. Don't forget, Exxon Nation, the X-Chronicles newspaper, now in its 28th year, comes out this coming Friday. Friday, February the 2nd at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the X-Zone radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at Elizabeth.Joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings, slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, 
finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From Out of the Woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Jenny Ashford is my guest this hour, Exonation, www.jennyashford.com. Tell us about some of the uh, true crime that you've written about. Oh, gosh, this is actually, uh, I just got into this um, last year. I mean, I've been, been interested in true crime for a mm-hmm. while, and uh, I have a podcast called 13 O'Clock, and we do a lot of true crime on there. Right. But uh, apparently, like, a- after I did The Unseen Hand, which was my uh, Poltergeist compilation, I said, you know, I'd really like to do a true crime compilation like that, where I'm just kind of getting all of the ones from a certain time period. But I wanted to pick ones as I said, because I'm very interested in mystery and unsolved ones and things like that. So I said, I want to pick ones that were unsolved. So I'm going to pick like the creepiest unsolved cases from, you know, X year to X year. And it actually turned up, I I outlined it. It was supposed to just be one book, but uh, it's actually going to be three. So (laughs) because I found so many that I wanted to include. So uh, the first one came out uh, last October and I'm working on the second one right now. But um, probably... I mean, there were so many good ones in there. I mean, there are so many uh, just creepy, grotesque, gruesome kind of things. But one of the ones that really got me, and I had actually never heard about this case prior to uh, starting to research this book, but apparently it's a pretty popular case on Reddit or something like on their Unsolved Mysteries uh, thread or whatever. But uh, this was actually, it's usually called The Horror in Room 1046. And uh, it happened in 1935. And it happened in Kansas City, Missouri. And apparently there's this hotel. It's called the Hotel President. And this guy walks in, just totally normal looking guy. And he checks in under the name Roland Owen. And he doesn't have any luggage. He doesn't, he's not carrying any bags or nothing like that. They take him up to, he specifically asked, he said, well, I want a room that doesn't face the street. So they were like, okay. So they take him up to a room Mm -hmm. and he goes in the room and all he has on him is like a comb and a toothbrush and a tube of toothpaste. And that's it. No change of clothes, no nothing. So he's staying in the room and the whole time he was there, like he was there for a couple of days. And then like all of these weird things would happen. Like he, like the maid would come and he would be sitting in the room in the dark, like by himself. Like he would just have this little lamp on. He always kept the curtains drawn. He was like talking on the phone you know, there was these mysterious conversations on the phone and people heard yelling coming from the room and things like that. And then on one morning, the the uh, operator, because at the time they had the switchboard in the hotel lobby and the operator noticed, oh, the phone up there is off the hook. And so they kept knocking and getting, hey, put the phone back on the hook. And finally, one of the bellboys goes in the room And he's like, the guy is lying on the bed naked. He looks like he's drunk or sleeping or whatever. And he's knocked the phone off the hook. So the guy puts the phone back on the hook and he's like, okay, drunk guy, whatever. And then he goes back down to the lobby. And then they notice a little while later that the phone's off the hook again. But this time when they go up to the room, they try to open the door and the guy is all, um, he's all bloody and he's like holding his head as it's heads all messed up. Like it's been bashed in. He's got stab wounds all over him. Mm -hmm. And, and the later on, like he didn't die right away. The weird thing was that they busted in the room. They called the doctor, they called the cops and they take him in the bathroom. And it looks like he's been, um, he has ligature marks like around his neck and his wrist, like someone's been torturing him. And the bellboy had been in there only two hours before and he didn't see any of this stuff. Um, and no one was in there and no one saw him go in or out. And they, they put him in the bathroom and they're like, you know, what happened to you, man, who did this? And he said, nobody and they said, well, then what happened? Did you try to kill yourself? And he said, no. He said, I fell against the bathtub. That's all he said. And then they took him to the hospital and he died. And then after he died, they found out that Roland Owen wasn't his real name. So for a long time, they didn't know who he was. Um, you know, and, he, and apparently he had gone under a bunch of different aliases. 
Um, they didn't really find out who he was until a year later. Now, because they didn't know who he was, they were going to bury him in a potter's field. But then the funeral home gets an anonymous call and says, I'm going to send you money to pay for his funeral. And they got money to pay for the funeral. And then a florist got another anonymous call. And they said, I'm going to send you money for a bouquet of 13 roses. And I want the card to say, love forever, Louise. No one ever figured out who Louise was. Nobody ever figured out who this guy was talking to on the phone. Nobody saw anybody go up in the room like during the time, you know, because he was fine. He was sleeping drunk on the bed. There was no blood, nothing like that. And then two hours later, he was all caught up and all banged up and he died. And it was just the weirdest kind of thing. And like a year later, um, they actually found out who he was because there had been a, a write-up about him like in this magazine, in a national magazine, and there had been a sketch of his face. And a friend of his mother's actually, actually happened to see the sketch and sent it to her and was like, is this your son? And she's like, oh my God, it is. And the weird thing about that, his name actually ended up being Artemis Ogletree. And he was from uh, Alabama, I think. And he was only 17 or 18 years old, but his mother had not heard from him uh, since the previous year. But the creepy thing about that was that she had received three letters, like typed letters that were supposedly from him, mm -hmm. even though she thought it was suspicious at the time because she's like, I don't think he can type and it doesn't sound like him. So she was already kind of th thinking, where did he go? What happened to him and stuff like that. But the letters that she got, she got them after he was dead. So I don't, so nobody knows who this guy was, who killed him, who all these people were, who sent money to have him buried and the flowers and everything like that. Um, who sent the letters to his mom. It's just, it was just the weirdest, weirdest case. And there's like all these other creepy details about it. And for some reason, it just, it really fascinated me because I'm like, they need to make a movie about this. <laughs> exactly. I really, w I wish they would solve it in a way, but then in a wish, in a way, I wish they don't because I mean, you know, it's terrible that this guy got murdered and everything like that, but it's just, it's so intriguing. There's just so many weird possibilities about it, but it's just, yeah, that was, that was really one of my, the standout cases that I wrote about in the book. Now that, that is a true mystery. Yeah, it, it was very yeah. mysterious. That's for sure. If there are people listening tonight around the world who are considering to become an author, what advice could you share with them? Um, actually, I one of the things that I always say is that, one, just do it, just write every day. One mm -hmm. thing that I had to get over, and this was one of my main things, was that I'm kind of a perfectionist. So I always, I would write and then I'd be like, well, that's not perfect. So I would just throw it away. Until it occurred to me that I was like, well, I can just write it and then later I can go back and edit it. And I know it seems very simple, but yeah. I was kind of, that took me a long time to realize. Also, especially nowadays, um, I would actually not recommend going the traditional route of, you know, getting an agent, submitting to publishers, things like that. It does work for some people. Um, I have had novels published by small presses and things like that, but in general, uh, I'm kind of like, I'm a very go it, you know, go it on your own type of person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also a graphic designer, so I like to do my own covers. I like to do my own layouts and you know, the, the way that we have Amazon now, the way that we have, um, ACX, which does, uh, audiobooks, Cause I also do my own audiobooks. I read them and everything. So it's so easy now to do everything yourself that I would almost recommend that young writers do that rather than trying to go the traditional route. Although you still can, um, but I, I feel like it takes longer and you will probably get more return if you put in the work and uh, do all the stuff yourself or at least, at least as much of it as you can do yourself. So what's next for you, Jennifer? Um, at the moment, I am working on the second volume of my true crime book, which is called The Faceless Villain. And this Ooh. one will cover um, unsolved murders from 1960 to 1980. So we have some serial killers in there, the Zodiac, Jack the Stripper, uh, some other kind of big ticket cases in there. So uh, I'm in the middle of working on that right now. And I'm also always working on uh, my weekly podcast, which is called 13 O'Clock. 
Uh, we do a show that comes out every Tuesday, and we also do movie reviews that come out every Friday. So uh, that's a lot of work there. So I've been putting that. We have like an audio podcast, and we have a YouTube show also. So uh, so always working on that. And where can people find your uh, your podcast? Podcast uh, YouTube. We have a channel called Thirteen O'clock Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the audio podcast. I usually upload them to archive.org, um, but you can find them on iTunes, uh, as far as I know. <laughs> Last time I checked, and uh, you can also just go to our uh, blog, which is thirteen o'clock dot wordpress dot com, and uh, there's a link there for the audio, so you can listen to all of our past episodes. I believe we're on episode seventy six. Yeah, we just Good did episode you. 76. Good for you. Jennifer, it has been a great pleasure speaking with you tonight. I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us and for sharing the experiences and the mysteries with us. And I would love it when you finish your next book, if you'd be kind enough to let us know so that we can bring you back on and talk more about mysteries, horror, the paranormal, true crime, and whatever you think is weird, wonderful, and wacky. Well, of course, I would love that. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Take care of yourself and let our listeners know what your website is, please. My website is www.jennyashford.com. Jenny, take care and thanks for joining us again. You too. Thanks for having me. All right. Exxon Nation, for more information about Jenny Ashford, visit her website, www.jennyashford.com. I've got a little mystery going on here because I want to find out who Jenny Anderson is. And yes, we will find that, that. That's right. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a, a synchronistic connection here between having you on the show, Jenny Ashford, and talking about Jenny Anderson. <laughs> Take care again, Jenny. Exxon Nation, I'll be back on the other side of this news break at the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in beautiful downtown Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget, Friday, February the 2nd www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com 92 pages filled with the strange, the weird, the bizarre, the paranormal, and much more. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. 
Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.